What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode six of the Dylan Sawyer Show. Today we have on a special guest, my man Nick. Welcome, Nick. Thanks. I appreciate you having me, Dylan. For sure, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. So we'll jump right into it. So how did you get introduced into Amazon? And yeah, walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so for probably a lot of the viewers, uh, for me, I'm one of the OG uh, eBay. I started our eBay account back in 1999 on my parents' account Whoa, way cool. back in the day. Uh, so right, the I did not know that. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's one of those like old school accounts. It's still around. I'll st- I still sell on that one. I haven't done a whole lot on that, but that was like the original journey. So, I mean, uh, eBay and flipping things and, and that reseller mindset it's kind of been in me from the beginning uh did a similar type paths as a lot of other people where you know they did candy and they did other items just always looking for a way to make a buck and find a way to you know be able to instill a lot of that hard work uh similar to like how with with you and your family same kind of mindset was in was instilled in me with mine as well so fast forward many many years later um got into around the 2020 time frame and that's when consoles started coming around and my sister-in-law we were sitting on the couch and she's like man these playstations are going so expensive and being a software engineer i uh immediately my head went to oh wait if we can get them and they're in demand maybe there's something there so that kind of spiraled me into the botting community um and what was the first ever bot you owned uh that's a good question so my first ever bot was scott bot (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. For uh, for the viewers that aren't as familiar with that, Scottbot is a uh, is a low key site for collectibles. Uh, so that was that was my first one getting into into the botting game, and then from there there was a plethora of other bots depending on you know which use case. If it was shoes, if it was sports cards, if it was consoles, GPUs, just like anything else, you use the right tool for the job. So long winded exactly. answer to the original question. That's the path that I took that going into this year was really the first time I ever sold anything on Amazon. And it was just a natural fit to go from the reselling world into the Amazon world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, such a smooth transition. Like coming from sneakers, I was selling a lot of the same stuff I was selling before I even opened up my account on Amazon months or even years later. Like some of those shoes just really transfer over well and all the skills that you learned, all like the, the coupons, the cash back and just maximizing your profits carries over really well as well. One thing I wanted to ask you, do you remember your first ever item you sold on eBay? Oh, that's a good question. So yes, I do. Uh, first ever item was, so I, I, I live outside of the Philadelphia area. So I grew up actually in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is, for anyone who's not aware, it's a, it's a lot of farmland, a lot of Amish out there. And there are also some really good outlets. So Adidas Outlet Track Shoes. Um, and that was my first flip on eBay was, uh, went over with my parents, found these, I think they were size 13 track shoes. And those were the, the original, the original flips from that. Wow. Time yeah. That's pretty wild. So in shoes that long, especially from the outlet. And that's still something that works to this day. There's people yeah. who only go to the outlets to buy inventory. That's, that's really wild. That's, that's a cool story for first item. Yeah. Down in the clearance on the bottom row in the back corner. So it's just like anything, right? It's where everybody else isn't going. That's where you're going to end up finding some of the gold. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Let's, so you've been born and raised in Philadelphia. 
Uh, so I was grew up in Lancaster. Um, I did bounce around a little bit growing up. I uh, lived down in Florida for a brief time, but basically spent the majority of my life in, you know, I'll say the greater southeastern Pennsylvania area from there. Nice. Yeah. And, that, and that's where we met as well at Expo East. That was first show that I've been to that's more of like a brand focus show. So let's talk about that for a minute. So I was there the first day by myself, or I went with my dad actually, and he was gone the second day, and that's when you were able to come. First day, me and my dad, we were just kind of walking up to these brands, kind of getting a feel for the show and seeing how it is. Second day, the day that you came, you were very prepared. You brought the iPad, and that was a huge game changer. So tell the audience about what you did to sauce up some distributors and brands. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is trial by fire, right? First time ever going to a brand trade show. so. I had it like an inclination that it would be a little bit different, um, but really had no idea. So it, just like anything, it, I, just through all of our different mentors of being prepared and being comfortable being uncomfortable um, were kind of the big things that I just kind of took into Expo East. So I had my laptop with me in a backpack and I had I had the iPad and within the first like five minutes, you could tell like just reading the room and the floor, it's like, this is a lot different than ASD where ASD is going to be very opinionated toward distributors and uh, being able to align to you know what what's in it for them right and at a distributor trade show it's going to be um knowing what you want the exact quantities you want the price points and being able to being able to put a po on the spot with expo east it was totally different than that these were folks that were representing they were the brand so the conversations with them is still framed in the same mindset right what's in it for them but what's in it for them is how do you bring value and bring value to increasing the pie, I guess is the best analogy that I could use there. So having the laptop, I didn't know a lot of these brands. I knew a couple of them from, you know, just general sourcing through online arbitrage. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, most of the brands that were there were brand new territory. So it was super beneficial to have an iPad with, with Smart Scout and and really just step step aside for a couple minutes do some research, figure out what the positioning was going to be. And then that really opened the door really for you and I and a couple other sellers that were around to to have some meaningful conversations with them and really kind of think through, okay, well, when you get a, the, the answer to no, then what's the next part of it, right? Just kind of really getting to how is there, is there an opportunity for us to bring value to their brand? And if so, let's talk through it. And if not, that's one more piece of learning that you then get to bring into the next brand that you're talking with. Yep, yep, exactly. exactly. I, mean, I mean, having that iPad is so important, literally just to open up conversations. Most of the time, if you're not showing them data or showing how they can improve something, they're not even really gonna wanna talk to you, especially if you just approach them as a, oh, I'm an e-commerce retailer, like we sell on these platforms. Like, they're not gonna be very interested, but when you can pull out software that shows them, oh, there's this many unauthorized sellers, these five are breaking the MAP prices, and this is what you need to do to fix that, they're gonna be like, oh wow, this guy knows exactly what he's doing and he can help us out a lot. Where at ASD, that doesn't matter at all. Like, they don't care at all if you have, oh, there's 20 sellers on this system. They're like, okay, we'll sell to 20 people too. Like, they just wanna move product as quick as possible. When, when you're working with a brand, you need to build a more personal connection and actually provide value both ways instead of just buying a lot of product. If, if most people nowadays have access to a lot of funds, they can get loans. The capital isn't really the, what these brands need. They need someone who can help them out and cover any pain points that they have 
on the e-commerce side of things. Or if you could bring their products into other marketplaces, like if you have a retail store, that's a huge leg up compared to people who are only selling online. And that's a play that I use because my mom has the gift shop, you know, so I'm going to say, hey, I moved some of my products through that store. We have a retail location and that's going to get my foot in the door with a lot of conversations as well. So you want to have something to offer and provide other than just being an e-commerce retailer. It needs to be something a little bit more to separate yourself from the competition. It's so and speaking on. of that, so you're, you're doing ar- mostly arbitrage. What are some ways that you separate yourself from the competition when doing that? Oh, that's a good question. So in the arbitrage space, I think there's a lot of opportunities in taking a look at, okay, I, I like to actually use Twitter to find out what are some of the yeah. other sites. And so if the, uh, there's a lot of folks that are going to some of the main well-known sites that are there, I use that as an opportunity to say, okay, these are probably some potential ones that are going to have a lot of uh, sellers that are going to be on it. It's a moat to create is going to some of those less well-known sites. Um, I, we talk about a lot about it within our, our mentor groups um, around how you manufacture margin, right? Everyone yeah. that we, we listen to regularly talks through that. Um, there's nothing different there, right? Utilizing all the fundamentals. I think that's, that's step one. Step two is looking for opportunities that are different than what other folks are going to, like using different websites or if you have access. So I'm a little bit older, right? So if you have access to other things in your network, whether that's relationships, whether that's uh, coupon codes that other folks may not have access to through, whether you know those are you know your corporate job or another opportunity or something like that, those are all different ways you can use to create a moat um, within the online arbitrage space. For sure. So this year is going to be your first Q4. Is that correct? That is first Q4. That's exciting, man. So how how are you preparing for that coming into that holiday season? Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely the year of you don't know what you don't know. But I think going with what I can control is the biggest thing. So um, doubling down on products that have sold well this year um, and starting to prepare for those in the FBM season, right? So um, spend some time setting up our, our house and getting things in the, in the line. So that way, when it comes time to, for FBM season, I'm already ready to go Prepackaging a lot of, uh, some of the items, especially if it's something that are, you know, like type SKUs, they're things that have, we've already sold FBM. Um, there's opportunities there to streamline that. And, you know, with, with my family, it's been, we, we've turned this as like, as a family story almost in a way. Right. So trying to instill that with, within my kids, uh, the hard work, just like when I was growing up, it's the same kind of thing. So they're starting to learn a little bit of the process as well. So now when they get, get tapped into, uh, the December months, Hey, like, no, we really need some help here. It's time then to lock in. <laughs> time to lock in. The uh, practice sessions have already occurred at that point, and it's more like, let's see where this goes. But I think you hit on something, right? The rest of it is, I'm not sure all of the things you're going to run into, but that's the beauty of it is you're not going to always have all the answers. You just figure it out along the way. And I think the folks that have been the most successful and have, you know, come through have been able to pivot on the fly and be comfortable with the unknown. For sure. I think you're going to be really excited with how this first Q4 goes, man. Like, I just remember back to 2021 and my mind was blown by the volume. Like, I was like, no way this is selling this fast. Like, I got to check and make sure, especially some of those like low rank items. Like, I'll just say like the socks, stuff like that, where you'll sell 500 of one ASIN in a day. And you're like, wow, I bought way too little of those. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's kind of crazy just looking back and seeing all the work that you've put in and 
ripping through all those sales. It's just a, such a fun time of the year. And I, th- I think you're doing it very, very well with like prepackaging. We did that a bunch when I was in the warehouse. Uh, like if we were going super deep on one SKU, we're going to just prepackage everything, do one per box. And so you just slap it on a label at that point. And that makes it just so much quicker because it can get really, really overwhelming when you have hundreds of merchant-fulfilled orders and you still want to check your repricer. And it just seems like there's a lot going on. So having some help, especially with your family, going into it with your family just makes it a lot more fun as well. Like you have people to celebrate your wins with and help you get through the losses, whatever that is. And it it just makes it a, a different experience. And I really, really enjoy that as well. Um, it, it's just gotta love Amazon. <laughs> so walk me through how you manage, uh, working a nine to five and having a wife and kids. It's a lot to handle and running a massive business on the side as well. What do you yeah, do to it, kind of manage your time? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing, and this has kind of just been instilled is I've always grown up playing sports my entire life. So that that's kind of instilled like the time management, being able to have consistency, being able to stay disciplined to what your schedule looks like. It's no different with with the with the Amazon business. Right. So for for me, it's hey, I, I know I have my my responsibilities and my commitment for my professional life. I w- yeah. always make sure to carve out a couple hours for the family time and then from eight to midnight, pretty much every night um, is the is the Amazon business. So I, that's that's essentially how it is. It sounds simple and it's simple in theory, right? There's going to be some days that you're going to be a lot more tired than others, and it's just something that you 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 do each and every day. And it's some days I'll look at it and be like, man, I really don't feel like I accomplished that much. But then you look at it over the course of you know a week, a month, a quarter, and now we're coming up on a year. And it's just, it's interesting to see the journeys and and documenting the journey of, you know, where we started back in January and, you know, where we're at going into Q4. So I think that's the biggest thing is just don't underestimate what you can do over a period. Like even a year is a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. So still taking a lot of growing pains right now, but it's one of those things that in, we look at this in a couple of years and be like, hey, look how much, how, where we, where we start and where we're at right now. So that's kind of how we've been managing it to, to date. What are your operations looking like now? You talked about having your wife and kids help out some. Do you have any VAs or any other employees? Yep. Yeah. So um, first thing that I did was I wanted to make sure that I learned the fundamentals, just like in athletics, right? Before before yeah. delegating and doing all of those things, you have to be able to know it yourself. You can't teach someone else how to run your business if you don't know how to run your own business efficiently and eff- and effectively, more importantly, right? So there's still plenty of, of optimizations to do there, but I think... For me, it was first learn the fundamentals, and then it was basically just following the blueprint that our mentors have already put out there for us, right? Why recreate the wheel on the things that have already been established as successful? So for me, it was, all right, well, I keep hearing and and listening to content, listening to mentors say, hey, outsource your prep. So did the prep for enough time to say, this is how it's done. So that way I understood that I could teach that to my family for FBM season. And then more specifically, I could articulate what my requirements are with the prep centers that we were working with. So that was the first stage in in the mission of a, essentially the delegation piece of it. And then from there, it was spending a decent amount of time learning how to source, learning how to set up uh, my own internal standard operating procedures, because if you don't have those, you can't teach your team. So 
Um, I did, we did, I went in with a, 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 a partner to say like, Hey, do you want to split a VA and try that out? So that was the first stage into having virtual help was splitting it with another, another Amazon seller. Just because, so that way you had the opportunity to go through the growing pains of, of teaching others um, and not having to do it alone, right? So if you, as you're yeah, teaching yeah. your virtual help, they're getting two perspectives instead of one on that. And that's generally how, how the process went is we, we split a VA and then started to bring on some other folks on there. And now we're in a position where, you know, we have separate businesses and we're going through there, but those, those are definitely items where it's like, hey, we still will with like the sourcing pieces of things. It's still an opportunity to be able to to split some of those resources. Now we're in the position where um, I have my own uh, personal assistant uh, and and having him do a lot of uh, my administrative related tasks and, and inventory management. That's a huge area area right now for me personally is just kind of going through like I'm learning some of those growing pains right now of being able to track something from the the original purchase with the supplier uh, you know going through the uh the different supply uh chain when it's hitting the prep center it's getting to amazon etc and and following the product from start to finish and that's where i'm spending a lot of the cycles right now with our team is teaching them how to follow up on all those items so that way it's something that i can take off my plate for the day to day that's awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's one, one of the main, main things, things that I've been, been working, working on recently, recently as, well. as well. Just having a system to cover leakage or any sort of missing items, it's huge. It's easily a top three most important thing in the Amazon space. Like It's like sourcing inventory, pricing effectively, and then finding all the leakage and anything that goes wrong, easily the most important three things. And I'm glad you talked about like outsourcing prep. That's the first thing that someone should do. Outsource prep then go to admin work, and then really build on those systems to be able to have them VAs pay off what they're working for. I mean, literally, if he works for one day, finds like $2,000 worth of missing stuff, that's his salary for months. Like, mm -hmm. It pays itself off really, really quick when you have those great systems in place, and it sounds like that's what you're doing. That's one thing that I'm going to really, really focus in on with my team when it comes to January because building that from like – from the supplier to the prep center, it's it's hard to track everything, especially when it gets to Amazon and you have to submit invoices for missing units and do other stuff as well. It's hard to give a virtual assistant access to like emails and old order confirmations. It's a lot of work to set that up, but once it's in place, you're off to the moon. Like there's really nothing that's holding you back at that point because it's a problem at every size. Even if you're a small seller, leakage is an issue. And for big sellers, even more so because you have so much going on. It's easy to just forget about something or like say you place a PO of 500 units, but you're doing that like almost every day and it gets short 100. You don't really realize that. But when you're a smaller seller, it's easier to tell yourself. But once you're at that larger scale, it just kind of blends in with everything else. And if you don't have systems and people in place specifically for that, you will lose a lot of money over time, which is kind of what happened to me, honestly. Like just having an operation from my house uh, when I was doing prep here and even at my warehouse, we didn't really have a system for like writing out like, hey, I received this many units of this item. We would just kind of get it in and ship it out. And one of the biggest things about switching to prep centers is that they have a detailed log of everything that they've received. So it's a lot easier for a virtual assistant to match it up with that compared to me doing my own logs. So that's that's a big game changer when switching over to prep centers. There's so many things that a, a VA can do to take time off your hands. Like 
one thing for us that took some time off our hands is having him communicate with the prep center entirely himself. So like I'll put in my order sheet or he will put in the uh, order confirmation into the ordering spreadsheet. And then from there, he will communicate that over to the prep center, which is Danny. And it, it's a really smooth process, goes out. I don't have to fool with anything. And it's, it's completely automated. And that's how you want it to be. I prefer to outsource everything like that before even thinking about outsourcing sourcing because it's just such an important part of the business. You don't really want to have someone outside the country doing your product research if you're within a year or two of starting your Amazon business. I mean, unless you have like no time to source yourself, you need to have admin work covered, all your prep covered, and then you just focus all your time on sourcing and repricing. But if you try and source for two or three months and then have a VA get leads for you, it's not going to work out well. They're not going to be good products. It just doesn't really work like that. Do you see yourself getting a, a sourcing virtual assistant anytime soon, or is that something you haven't really looked into yet? No, I don't. So I don't think that'll be the priority for it at, the, at this yeah. stage in the game. Like it's the way that I've kind of broken up the three different stages, right? The first year is the grind year or the growth year. So I'm, I'm still very much in that. Um, next year, I definitely see that as the refine year. So what are the what are the areas for opportunity? We hit on a couple of them, right? Finding leakage in your accounts, making sure you yeah. know your books. We're starting to dive. I have a bookkeeper that I really like, and it's been it's been a great experience to see where those optimizations are in your business and where you should be focusing your cycles um, in that in that that category. And then I think going into year three, or just more generically, if you look at the three phases of learning, is your define year, which is where you kind of get to a position. You say, well, what do I what do I want to be? Right? Is it do I want to get into to wholesale? Do I want to get into private label? Do I want to you know go down another another vertical or another path? And those are really the three different stages. And I kind of see like, as we get out of Q4 here, going into next year, it'll be to get into that refine phase and start to really kind of get through, okay, this is where I want our, our team to look like, this is what the responsibilities are. And I, I don't know to answer your question specifically, I don't know if I would, I'm going to fully take the, the sourcing piece out. I think it's a supplement to it is really the yeah. answer. You're supplementing what you've proven has been successful, but you can't you might not necessarily be able to do that until you have the data to back it up. So the data validates that these are the proven products, and then you can then put a procedure around some of your team to be able to to go after those those niches or those categories. For sure, I definitely agree with that. And it doesn't have to be the VA like completely looking for products on his own. I mean, just little things like having him put a list of from a distributor through like Smart Scout or a UPC scanner, something like that is really helpful. Purchasing side of things, that's really really helpful to have someone there. Uh, putting in orders, like especially on like Nike or like website where you can only buy ten at a time. It just takes so long if you want to get a lot of units, especially if you're using gift cards, coupon codes. Like Each extra step takes a little bit more time. So have something in place for that is really important. But for actually finding products, I'm getting to my like refine year about right now. Like I, I have a really good idea of what I want my business to look like in like three to five years. I know I don't want to be in a warehouse. I want to go all through prep centers, have my team small, even if I scale not the fastest. I've, I've been at the same point for kind of like two, three years now. I know what works, what doesn't work, what categories I want to focus on. And now is the first time where I'm even considering having a sourcing VA to like look for arbitrage products manually. But the thing is about that, it just takes so much time. Like, I wouldn't even want to have a product research VA without putting at least 50 hours in with him one-on-one, -on -one, like really showing him 
what to look for and keep a charts, what not to look for, all of that type of stuff. It just takes so much one-on-one -on -one training for them to really, really get it down. Uh, I'm thinking probably January is when I'm going to do that because after the holiday season, it's a great time to restructure, build out systems, and really just get your business ready for the next Q4 pretty much. Like January is just preparation for December again, which is how it should be. So recently I saw on your Twitter that you received a Section 3 email from Amazon. So talk us through that and what you kind of did to get around that. Yeah, so still going through it, so not not out of the yeah. not out of there yet. But the the biggest thing with it, right, is this kind of gets to what we were talking about, making sure that you have really good invoices and you have the paperwork to back it up. So as soon as I received the notification, it took a minute just to kind of see if there was any other sellers that had something that was similar going through it. And I went through and I went on ChatGPT to make sure I had a good professional response in there just to kind of talk through it. I used it more as a draft. And then I tweaked it off of to be within the language. So within within the Section 3 violation, there's a lot of different documentation, the email that you have to provide. Um, so I was able to put that, that in there. And then at this point, it's a, a virtual interview that you have to go through. So currently scheduling the virtual wow. interview. Um, and we'll see what the output of it is. I mean, I feel pretty good going into it in the sense that yeah. they're based off of the product that it was under. I have legitimate invoices for those. So um, from that lens, ev everything that should be in there as a quote unquote counterfeit claim for Section 3 is should be covered based off of the invoices that I have. That's good to hear. I'm sorry to hear that you're still going through that. I thought you had it cleared up, but um, what was some of the documentation that they require? I know invoices, but did they want like like LLC papers, like all the registration forms? Oh yeah, so it's 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 everything, right? So for for me specifically, I wanted to make sure that I had everything covered in there. So I went yeah. and I had an invoice. I did an annotated invoice just as on top of that, just to highlight and spell out and circle all the key metadata that they're looking for. Uh, copies of your LLC documentation, front and back of your license. Um, so there, there was a decent amount of uh, information that's requested as part of that. And then in addition to that, I did reach out via LinkedIn. So I found, I went through LinkedIn and just and sent out about 35 different uh, requests just to different account managers and things of that nature, just to kind of go through and be like, wow. hey, I'm going through this because I didn't ha know that I actually did have an account manager assigned to me. So for anyone that's newer, you do have an account man. You may have an account manager. I actually didn't know that. Now I now I do. So yeah. um, they reached out to me uh, just the other day as well for that. So that gives that's at least a, a point of contact on the inside to kind of help with some of those things. Yeah, for sure. So for the virtual interview, are they asking for all the same documentation, but just requiring you to show it like on the camera? Yeah, I think so. I haven't had the interview yet, so we can do that as a, a follow up. I'll make sure to put a tweet out there just kind of talking through, you know, the good, bad and the indifferent of it uh, yeah. after we kind of get through it. But yeah, the, the way that I understand it is that it'll be a, a, a real virtual interview. They'll have some questions around the invoices and then what I, what I have noticed from that from others that have successfully gone through it, you generally hear back pretty quick after that so that they're looking just to, to validate the, you know, the full supply chain. Yeah. When I had something very similar, it, it wasn't to do with a product or invoices, but it was just for verification of my account. 
and it was like a year into selling and they basically just wanted to see all my documentation and they it literally said like if you do not reply by october 20th with all of this documentation and schedule a virtual interview your account will be deactivated i'm like what like this yeah. is some scary <laughs> stuff but it was a super smooth uh interview like we just showed it paper we were done in literally two minutes and I was cleared up like the next day. So I'm hoping that's what happens for you as well. I'm sure all your invoices are gonna be good and all of that, but to get back to the product, so was it like a brand name product on a generic listing or was it just a random brand, random product? Dial soap mislabeled um, brand owner. Mislabeled. Yep, so that's mm -hmm. my, uh, that's my, uh, we'll call part of my growth stage there, right? So it was, a, it was yeah. just a regular typical product from Walmart. And it, it was something that came out, I think it was a test buy that I had from the summertime. So then that's pretty much what was generated in the, in the information. Now we'll see what happens in the virtual interview. They may want to request or have other questions that they'll ask, but for each of those, I keep, I keep all the records of the invoices, emails. So if there's anything on the fly that I have to answer, I should be able to handle that as well. That's good. As from like Walmart, it's not like a random distributor or something like that. Like that just smoothens up the process a lot. Um, so it, it, so the brand was mislabeled on the Amazon listing. Yeah, it was. So like for each one of those, it almost looked like now that I know some of these items, it almost looked like it was, um, private label, but selling like a branded bundle, but it wasn't actually okay. a branded bundle. It was just a two pack of, you know, just, just an everyday product that you would find. Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. Cause that's something really common too. Like there's tons and tons of brands and products that are slightly mislabeled or brand name is wrong. It's something that comes up a lot. Uh, did you have the listing like active on your account? Was I it deleted? Did. Okay. I, did. okay. I, think, I think, I don't know if that's part of the problem or not. So what I actually ended up doing after that was looking for um, generic listings, running them through KPF filters to see like, okay, these are the ASINs that are in my catalog, took an export from Seller Central for that and then ran it through Keepa to say, okay, what it, what is this actually coming up as? So I didn't actually have any generic in, in my in my active catalog, which was a good thing there. So that was the only one that came up that, that kind of met the criteria of what they were looking for in terms of types of listings that were going through that section three assessment. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's good to know, especially with the Keepa product finder. Just do, I think it's reports, fulfillment reports, download everything, copy all the ASINs, paste it into keep a product finder, and it'll just give you a list of all the brands. I did the exact same thing, and I found two generic listings that I had no clue about. I sold them well over a year ago, just random items that look like it'd be fine, but it's actually generic, and I deleted those off. I didn't get any sort of Section 3 or anything like that, which I'm kind of surprised with how many SKUs I have on my storage from over time. I'm kind of surprised I didn't get one. But I tried to ask around some with other sellers to see, like, did you guys receive any Section 3 complaint or whatever from listings that you had deleted? And I haven't seen that happen yet. So I'm hoping if everyone just clears up all the listings you're selling on, gets rid of all the generic and anything that's mislabeled, you guys should be good, have nothing to worry about. Um, but there's really no way to know. That's what I would assume. But it's, it, as long as you're buying from reputable places like you are and I am, it's really nothing to worry about. And yeah, just smooth sailing after that. For sure. Yeah. I think this is a good spot to wrap up. Nick, thank you for coming on the podcast. Had a great time. Any last words you have for the people where to follow you? 
Yeah, so uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at NickSpizak underscore. Uh, same handle for Instagram as well. Uh, I have a TikTok page. haven't used it yet. So I spend majority of the time on, on Twitter for a lot of the information. And Dylan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely go shoot Nick a follow. He has a lot of good video content. The after work videos are undefeated. Love them. <laughs> but yeah, make sure to go follow him. And yeah, thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.